turn together in your copy of God's Word to 1 Samuel 29. If you do not have a copy of God's Word with you, I would encourage you to look around and find one. There are some scattered about. Um, We're going to read a substantial portion of it together here this morning, and so you will be helped, I think, to follow along with us as we read and study it together and try to glean truth from it by the help of the Holy Spirit. So we're in 1 Samuel 29, uh, the Old Testament book there toward the beginning of your Old Testaments. As God has been through the Holy Spirit as he inspired the writer of this book to take account of his dealings with the nation of Israel and their king, Saul, uh, and then young David and appointing him to be king over them and It's been an amazing study as we are now sort of coming to the end of it together. We're going to read 1 Samuel 29, beginning verse 1. This is one of the shorter chapters in this book, only 11 verses. And so we're going to read it all together here this morning. Before we read, let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, help us now to be able to see what our darkened eyes and hearts are unable to see. Lord, grant light. In the darkness. God, illuminate us and remove the scales that inhibit and prohibit our vision. God, open your word to us and use it to teach us about yourself and your redeeming power through Christ our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. 1 Samuel 29. It says, Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek. And the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on uh, in the the rear with Achish, the commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years, and since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. The commanders of the Philistines were angry with him, and the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back, that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this David, of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest, and to me it seems right that you should march out and end with me in the campaign, for I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Excuse me. Nevertheless, the Lord does not approve of you, So go back now and go peaceably that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of the Lord. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to the battle. Now then rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. 
the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Have you ever felt like you have gotten to a place in your life or gotten to a place in some certain circumstance or found yourself in a situation where you began to despair that you were beyond help? Uh, More specifically, as if you had gone so far that even God could not, or perhaps you began to feel like God would not come there to get you. Um, I think it's, I think it's a reality of all of our hearts. And in those times, as we sort of look back over our life and we begin to think about those situations where we have felt like and despaired of God's presence and of his deliverance, that perhaps we had been so foolish or gone so far as to be outside of the delivering hand of our God. As we look back on those circumstances and as we look back on those situations in our life um, and we take inventory of all of those times, I think we're prone to sort of look back and see when things worked out and they turned out better than we ever thought they could have. And in some way we were delivered and we were prone to sort of chalk it up to luck, you know, Well, by the skin of my teeth, I got out of that terrible circumstance or that terrible situation. Friends, this is a story about a situation like that. Chapter 29 of 1 Samuel picks up the story that has been split in half by the author that was begun in chapter 27. Where we saw David in a a bit of bother. As he has now been on the run from King Saul for quite some time, they have sought his life continually. He has lived in fear and dread continually. He has wondered where God was and where his deliverance was, and he has tried to be faithful. And I think we saw in chapter 26 in some way that David was reaching the end of his perseverance and was beginning to despair that perhaps he was in a spot that was not going to be solved by the Lord. And so... In chapter 27, he begins to maybe, according to his own cleverness, ingenuity, begins to sort of trust in himself maybe a bit too much. And maybe perhaps, as we, if we, if we talked about, if you were here, we talked about in chapter 27, maybe, maybe some sin there in his life, but where he begins to look inwardly instead of upward to the Lord. And he begins to come up with a plan for his deliverance. And what he sees is that the only place for him to go is to the land of his enemy, the Philistines. For Saul would not pursue me there, he thinks. But he goes into the camp of the Philistines, but he has no interest in being a Philistine. He, is the, he, he has been told by God that he is going to be the king over God's people, and he is going to rule over Israel. And even in his despair, we see some... some holding on to that reality. He doesn't want to go and be a Philistine, so he has to be a bit dishonest. And he begins to deceive Achish, the king of the the Philistines there in that area. And he seeks refuge outside of the camp. So he comes to them and says, look, let me be a part of what you're doing here, but let me do it outside of the camp. And let me find a home outside of the city. And he wants to be away from the prying eye of Achish and of his men. Well, why was that? As we saw last time, because what he does not want is for Achish to begin to think about him so much as a Philistine that he enlists him because David and his men were there as mercenaries. David and his men were there performing raids 
upon people. They were telling Achish, reporting back to the Philistines, that they were raiding the Israelites and some of the tribes of God's people and helping their cause, when in reality, they were raiding and destroying the enemies of Israel, not Israel themselves. So there was deception there. But he was being used as a mercenary, even in the protection of Israel at that point. And he he, he does not want to be seen by Achish, the king of the Philistines in that specific place. He doesn't want to be seen as a mercenary Philistine to be enlisted in the armies of the Philistines. Well, that's exactly what happens, isn't it? When you turn to the very beginning of this chapter, chapter 29, look at, look at what it says. The Philistines had gathered their forces at Aphek. Now, in 28, we were all the way up at Shunem. And I told you that that's one reason, the geography, that's one reason that we know that chapter 28 is an insertion, theologically, that is out of chronological order. It's a, it's a break in the story, the chronological sequence of events, is to teach us something. But so, we're all the way up at Shunem. Well, now we're back down here between Gath and Shunem, and we're back over at Aphek. So, they have made their way up north... And they're going to gather their forces and then they're going to pursue the Israelites all the way up at Shunem in order to come up against them. But so they gather their forces at Aphek and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines were passing on. So their ranks are being gathered together and they're coming before the lords of the Philistines. They're taking account of their military might. And it says, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish. So here come David. Here comes David and his men, the mercenaries that have been battling outside of Achish's land. As far as they know, they've been doing so in favor of the Philistines. And the commanders of the Philistines, they see the, they see the Hebrews and they immediately are concerned. And they say, what, my goodness, what are these Hebrews doing here? We are Philistines and we are taking up in arms against the Hebrews. What is David and these Hebrew men doing here? And Achish tries to tell him, he said, Is this not David who defected to me, who used to be the servant of Saul, the king of Israel, but has been with me now for days and years since he has deserted to me? I have found no fault in him to this day. This is David, our mercenary. He's been fighting our battles with us, and he's been serving on our behalf, and he has been upright and outstanding in battle. And of course, this is a Hebrew nationally, but he's here with us and has been so for some time. But the commanders of the army, they, uh, they, 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 they have a problem with this, don't they? They have a problem. They look and they say, this cannot be. They show some wisdom. That they say, send the men back. All of them that they would return to the place that you've assigned to them, they shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle they become an adversary to us. So whether or not David had been faithful to the Philistines up to that point, the leaders of the Philistines had enough practical wisdom and insight, I mean, they look pretty good here, to, to be able to see what Achish cannot and say, even if they had been faithful and even if they intended to be faithful, they may be overtaken with something inside of them and decide against that reality in battle. And then he points out, he says, what would be the best way for him to reconcile himself with his Lord, the King Saul, and with his people, the Israelites? Would it not be with the heads of those here with us? Do you see what he's saying? What if in battle he turns against us in order to gain or to regain the favor of the Israelites. But what I want you to see first is that David 
is now in worst case scenario. Worst case scenario. You've seen those books. I don't, I've never had any. I remember seeing them as a kid. You know, worst case scenario where they're comical, I guess, but it's, it comes up with these ridiculous scenarios. And so it's a, it's a survival manual for, for how to deal with the worst case scenario in ridiculous circumstances. And they're pretty funny. Friends, I want you to understand that this is a worst case scenario for David. The very thing that he hoped to prevent by deceiving Achish and living and finding refuge outside of the city, by, 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 by reporting to him something other than what was actually taking place, it was all done so that they would not perceive him as a Philistine to be taken up in arms against Israel. Why? Because he's to be the king. Friends, how are you to gain favor and to be the king over the people against whom you have fought the people you have slaughtered, the peoples where you have come against them together with their most vehement enemies and opposers. There's, there's no way that he would have ascended the throne practically and governmentally speaking with, with, with regard to his perception by the people that he would have been able to lead them. He was widely known. You can only imagine what would have happened if, if, if this terrible circumstance had come to fruition. And David would have been known and they would have sung among the people of Israel songs about David's participation with the Philistines. The same songs that they have been reported singing after he delivered them from the hand of of Goliath and others that Saul has struck down as thousands and David as ten thousands. How sad and how detrimental to his position as king if they had begun to sing those songs about David's victories over Israel but he struck down thousands and ten thousands of them. Do you see what a problem this would have been? And now David has been enlisted in the army of the Philistines by Achish the king where he sought refuge. What is David to do? Well, friends, God is going to bring deliverance. Okay, And and these are going to be the, the, the two points. I mean, David now, according to his own foolishness, Trusting in his own ingenuity, according to his own clever and cunning. And even in his sin, he is in an extremely uh, significant spot of trouble in this worst case scenario. But what I, I want two things. I want you to see from this text that God in those circumstances uses unusual means to bring about an undeserved deliverance an unusual means to bring about an undeserved salvation. First, let's consider then the unusual means. Who was it that was going to deliver him? What was David to do himself? I mean, if you were to open the, the, the manual, the worst case scenario, and this scenario for David was to have come up, I think it would have simply said, there is no way out. What was David to do? Because if he was to go to Achish or to the Lord of the Philistines and say, no, I can't fight with you because I've really been destroying your enemies. And I've really been deceiving you for all of this time. And I've really been uh, manipulating you so that you would provide protection for me and provide for me a place of refuge. He would have been instantly killed. They would have taken up arms against him. What else is he supposed to do? Actually go into battle with them, agree to their terms, take up arms against the Israelites and lose his opportunity? to lord over them as king, to serve in the position God had appointed for him. What was it? I think, I think it would have simply said there's no way out. And friends, that's just it. That for David, there was no way out. Friends, he was able to get himself into a very difficult position according to his own stupidity. 
his folly, his sin. We can relate, can't we? (laughs) I, I can relate. Where I think I know just what's best. And I think I have really great ideas about how how problems are to be solved and how my circumstance is to be fixed. And I engineer all sorts of ridiculousness and end up in an extremely troublesome position. So we can get ourselves in. The problem is, friends, there is nothing we can do to fix them. And there's nothing we can do to get ourselves out. But God is going to deliver and he is going to do it with some unlikely participants. Who does he use? The lords of the Philistines. They take one look at David and they say, send him home. Can you imagine the relief that would have flooded his demeanor and his heart as he thought, holy smokes. There was nothing I could have done to solve the problem. There was nothing I could have done to alleviate the difficulty. But now the lords of the Philistines have looked at Achish, one of their kings and leaders, one of those lords, and said, we have voted however many to one, that they are not to participate in this battle. They had enough wisdom to see that it might go poorly for them, and so had fear for their own lives and for David's integrity and his uh, willingness to fight with them. They simply send him home. Friends, God delivers David through the hand of the Philistines. And this is not the first time that we've seen this, is it? I mean, if you go back to chapter 23, just a few chapters back, uh, where the Philistines, you know, they're in the, vow, they're, they're in the, the wilderness of Maon, uh, just to prick your minds. Of, and, and, and David is running from Saul, and Saul has gone down into that wilderness to pursue, to pursue David. And David and his men, it says, go on one side of the mountain uh, as fast as they can, running from Saul. And Saul and his men pursue them hotly on the other side of the mountain so that they are closing in and the the catch seems imminent. But something happens, doesn't it? When David has no way out and when it looks like despair and doom and victory uh, for the Philistines, despair and doom for David and Israel, Saul gets word that the Philistines have taken up arms and are attacking Israel. And so he is tied up with the Philistines and God uses the unlikely participants of the Philistines to deliver David and his men because it ties up Saul with another matter. And now again in verse, in chapter 29, we see the same thing taking place. And friends, though the Philistines might not have been complicit in their, in their, the role that they served, though they may not have understood what role they played The truth of the matter is that even the Philistines could not help but serve the purposes of God for his people. Now, there's two realities there. One is incredibly positive and encouraging, and one is incredibly negative and despairing. On the one hand, let it be a wonderful truth to those of you who have your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ, who find yourselves as children of the King in difficult circumstances, that God can and will use all of his creation, that no part of his creation, not even the most wicked and vile and pagan, can stand outside of his ability to be used for your deliverance. That's a wonderful truth, isn't it? That try as they might, the wicked must serve the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of glory, the ruler of all creation. Friends, what that means is that there is an unlimited 
pool of options from which God is given to choose, even in his own creation, in order to come up with a way by which to deliver us. These unlikely means. Secondly, though, there is a negative. Friends, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the truth of the Philistines' participation and the plans for the redemption of God's people should terrify you. Because what it means is this. Rebel as you like. Run as fast as you want. You are not beyond his grasp. His hand so easily touches you. And his judgments will overcome you. And you will bend the knee. And you will declare his glory. Even if not complicitly, you will serve his purposes to redeem his people. Friends, if you are not safe in the arms of Christ, you are not safe before his father, the king. And do not forget that reality. And we learn it here from these unlikely participants, this unusual means of deliverance that God has given to David. Who could have ever imagined that the lords of the Philistines would be the one to solve David's problem? I couldn't have written it this way. You couldn't have written it this way. Only God himself could have done so. Let me give you a word of caution and a word of encouragement before we move to the second aspect, which is that it is an undeserved salvation. A word of caution. On the one hand, this does not mean that God promises to miraculously rescue all of us who get ourselves into terrible predicaments by our foolishness and sin. What I'm not telling you is, don't worry about what you do. Run headlong and foolishly and sinfully into whatever circumstance you like. Because like David, God is going to use some unbelievably unusual means in order to fix your problem and to resolve your circumstance. That's not a promise that is here given. So let us be given to diligence with regard to our holiness and our responsible obedience to God. His sovereign rule over all of his creation and the unusual means that he sometimes uses to deliver his people does not give us liberty to sin or to stupidity. It simply does not. So word of caution. But what does it teach us? Well, it gives us this word of encouragement. It shows us that when we sin, like David, if we are God's, he can handle it. And that's a, that's a different truth. And so I'm splitting that hair very carefully, but I want you to listen. What it means is that we cannot mess it up so bad that God cannot repair it. That God cannot use it. Do you see that even David's folly, that even on his worst of days, as Dr. Davis put it in his commentary on this section, he was no match for God. And friends, let that be a great encouragement to you, that while it does not give us liberty to go and sin, friends, let it encourage our hearts that when we do sin, we are no match for God's grace. That when we do sin, we are no match for God's mercy. And friends, that when we feel the despair in our lives and situations and circumstances, like there is nothing that can be done and that we have messed up 
too bad this time to ever be reconciled, that we have gone too far this time to ever be retrieved, that friends, as we have already learned back in 1 Samuel 9 in the sermon that I preached there, that not even your sins can dry up the fountain of God's mercy that flows to you. Do you see? God uses unusual means. Paul put it this way. As he reflected on the sovereign mysteries of God. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. I would encourage each of you this morning to pour over the experiences of your life. To take an inventory of every circumstance, to look back into all of the despair that you may have at one time felt. And to see all of the ways that God has delivered. And at the time, you may not have known it was God. He may not have written it on the wall. As in this text, he may have been working very quietly behind the scenes. In mysteries that we will never fully understand. But friends, let us be careful to look back on our life and to see all of the ways that God has delivered. Where when it seems like we simply got by by the skin of our teeth and we're tempted to say, man, that was a close call and how lucky I was. Friends, there is no luck for the Christian. There is the sovereign grace of God. There is his abiding providence that rules over our lives. Friends, let us look back carefully and examine. Let us be like David then, where we just saw just a few chapters ago. Was it back in chapter 26 when he had the opportunity to take Saul's life? And he said, no, I'm not going to do it. And then he began to imagine all of the possible ways or some of the possible ways that God might deliver him from Saul's hand. Maybe he'll... His day for death will come. Maybe God will send him down into battle. Maybe he will die right here before me on this night. I have no idea how God's going to do it. But friends, what I know is that when I look back at the deliverances of God in my life, I am astounded at God's imagination. That there is no end to the unusual means that he delivers, that, that he uses to deliver. And when he does, let us secondly realize from this text That when he delivers, it is an undeserved salvation. An undeserved salvation. Friends, how often do we feel like in those moments of despair, anger, and resentment because of a sense of entitlement? God, I serve you. I'm in church most Sundays. I pray often and read often and give of time and money and effort and talent. How dare you allow this trouble and despair? I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. Friends, the salvation and the deliverance that God brings is always an undeserved deliverance. Because what we deserve is judgment. Let's take an inventory of David's life here. We have already rehearsed it. I don't want to... I I, I don't want to spend too much more time thinking about it, but just by way of reminder, how did David get into this position? How did David get into the difficulty and the circumstance and the trouble that he was in at this point? By not trusting in the Lord, by coming up with means of his own, according to his own power, looking inwardly, trusting in himself, by trying to be too clever. 
He got himself into this position according to his own folly. And, and beyond that, what are we to make of what continues to happen here? Are you as astounded by the story as I am? That David is thinking, We're, oh no, what has happened? I have now been enlisted in the armies of the Philistines. And he, he's parading with all of the military might of the Philistines, numbered among their ranks before the lords of the Philistines. And the lords of the Philistines stop the parade and say, you guys are out. And, and, and I, must, I must believe that there had to have been such a great sense of relief in his heart. But does he say, oh, you're right. You're right. It would, be a, it would be a bad idea to have us. You're so wise, O king. I'm out. I'm done. That's what I, I think that's what I would have done. In, my, human, in my, my reason and logic, that seems to be what makes sense to me to have done. Folks, that's not what David did. He begins to plead with Achish about his integrity, which was deception because it was a false integrity. He had been doing other than that which he had been reporting. And he continues to appeal to this, quote, integrity. Look, look down at the second half of this. I mean, beginning in verse 6, when Achish calls David and tells him that you are not going to be allowed to go out with us. Go back now, he says in verse 7, peaceably that you would not displease the lords of the Philistines. In other words, depart quietly, lest you be harmed by the lords of the Philistines. Just get out of here. But look at what David says to Achish, not, oh, you're right. (laughs) But what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my Lord, the king? Whoa. And Achish answered and said to him, I know that you are blameless in my sight as an angel of God. And and then he's going to make us, he's going to swear to him by the Lord, his God. Don't don't think that this means Achish has somehow believed in David's God. It just shows that he has such respect for David that he's willing to enter into agreements on the terms of his faith and his belief system. So it's going on here. But it is a sign of such severe respect. You shall not go up with us to battle, he says. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said so. So then he tells him to rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you and get out of here, depart as soon as you have light. And he set out with his men, David did, early in the morning, and he returned to the land of the Philistines. That is back where he had come from, outside of that city gate where he had been seeking refuge. But the Philistines and their armies, they went up to Jezreel and they pursued the Israelites. What are we to make, though, of, 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 of David's response here? Is he acting? And I, th- I think so. I think he realizes that he has to continue the charade in order to maintain uh, his position before Achish. Maybe he's hoping and just deep down his heart he's saying, man, I hope they're really serious about their, not, their unwillingness to let me uh, go up with them because I, I have to continue to act like I want to. In order to stay in the good graces of Achish where I have found refuge, I have to continue to put on this charade. But it speaks to the difficulty and the sin and that it really wasn't nearly as good an idea as it seemed to be to David. That it was pretty foolish. Well, but there are others who say that he had a genuine desire to take up arms against Israel on account of his hatred for Saul, on account of his desire to maybe he thought he could come up with the Philistines against the Israelites. I simply don't think that's the case. Um, 
we don't have time to get it to, to, to deal. I don't, I don't want to bore you with all of the why, but the reality is this, it doesn't particularly matter. We're confounded by his response here, but what we know is that it's not smart, that it reflects the folly and the sinfulness and the stupidity of his decisions that got him into the position that either, according to his heart, he now desires to battle with them, or according to the circumstance he has created, he has to continue to deceive, yet God delivers him. See, it would be one thing in this text, and it might be what we would expect if we see David now turning from his folly and pleading with God and returning and saying, oh, I'm, I'm, an, I'm, I'm an absolute you know, moron and I, I've done so terribly and he becomes honest with Achish. That might be what I would have expected to see here. But friends, David is not deserving of the salvation and deliverance through these unusual means that God gives. He continues to dig the hole. He's steadily chunking dirt over his shoulder. And God says to him, you can get as deep as you'd like, David. My arms are plenty long enough to go there and get you. But it's not on account of you. And friends, this speaks to one of the greatest realities of all of the book of 1 Samuel. If you go all the way back to the very beginning of 1 Samuel, all all the way back, When Saul was anointed king, it begins with the reality that God has chosen Saul not because of Saul. And that truth is made evident all through the unfolding pages because Saul, God's chosen king, rejects him. And then God chooses David. But friends, does he choose David on account of David? No. He chooses David on account of his own wisdom and his own faithfulness. What do we learn from this aspect of the story? What does this teach us? It teaches us that David and his position as God's chosen king and his relationship with God existed and continued, not because of his ability or his cleverness or his savvy or his intelligence or his own righteousness. For at the close of this book, we see nothing but Bad with regard to those aspects of David's life. They get him into nothing but trouble. But that his position before God and his appointment as God's king, they continue and exist on account of the God who establishes and keeps him. Do you see the difference? It is because God has pursued him. It is because God has chosen him. It is because God has has allowed the fountain of his mercy to flow to him. It is because of God, not because of David. And to some degree, as a side note, you can apply this truth corporately. Many read this text, many commentators, many Christians, I think rightly so, in a little bit, see some some value in the Philistines here. They look pretty good. I mean, they're making a good military decision. They show some prudence and some wisdom. Those are all good attributes. Do you see that what it's doing is it's trying to help us see a little bit that it's not because the Israelites were so wise or so much better than the Philistines that they were God's people. It's not because they were better fighters. It's not because they were more prudent. And it's not even because they were more faithful. But it's because of their relationship with a God who is faithful and because of their relationship with a God whose covenant love and Grace and mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. It's not because they were so much better than the people around them that God chose them. 
They continue to be set apart because God has chosen them. It does not have anything to do with their intrinsic righteousness because of their relationship with the righteous king of kings. What does this teach us then about the grace of God and his dispensing of it toward David and even toward us in our own life? And listen very carefully. It teaches us that he stubbornly pursues his own. Stubbornly. A God who is jealous for his own glory stubbornly pursues those that he has chosen to bring it about. Even into Philistia, God would go to get David. And friends, even into the Philistias of our life, God will come and God will go that we might be his own and that his plan for our lives and our redemption would be brought to fruition. Let that be a wonderful truth that abides in your heart. We sing a song, a song that I did not know that I'm incredibly thankful for, that I have learned in my time at Redeemer Baptist Church. And two of the verses go like this. It's called, How Sweet and Awful is the Place. With Christ within the doors. But he says, why was I made to hear thy voice and enter while there was room when thousands make a wretched choice and would rather starve than come? And he continues reflecting because it was the same love that spread out the feast that sweetly drew me in or I would have still refused to taste and perished in my sin. Have you ever thought of those words as we've sung them together? Friends, this is the reality that I believe David reflected upon as he wrote the words of the 23rd Psalm. And I'm going to close with that. They go like this. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil so that my cup runs over. And he declares, surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of God forever. Friends, let us never forget that God is often employing an unusual means with unlikely participants to deliver us. And when he does, let us not think it's because we deserved it. The salvation he brings is undeserved. Friends, we are here because of God's pursuit of us. And friends, we will remain. The kingdom of God will be built and his people will persevere because of God's pursuit of them. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this unlikely salvation that you have brought to to David. But at the close of, as this book is coming to a close, this story about your providential care for your people, God, remind us this morning of the grace and the mercy that flows to us through the person and work of Jesus. God, that we're given a standing before you on account of his righteousness that we're given blessing and salvation because of his death on the cross. That our sins are forgiven and, a, and, 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 and we are washed because of what he's done, not because of who we are and what we've done. 
God, I pray that you'd help us to take careful inventory of the circumstances of our life. When we feel like we have gone too far, when we find ourselves despairing of your presence and of your providence, God, remind us that there is no hole too deep, that there is no city too far, that there is no darkness too dark where you cannot find us and where you will not come to get us. God, remind us of how we don't deserve to be saved, but that you save us anyway so that we would be all the more grateful, that we would be overcome with joy and thankfulness because of what you've done for us in Christ. God, redeem us and continue to use us that we would be a means of redemption for others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.